I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious and holy God, as we uh, turn to your uh, word uh, this morning, uh, Lord, we just ask you to help us uh, be present. Uh, God, life can get busy, and there can be a lot of noise that surrounds us, uh, things spinning in our minds. Uh, but Lord, you really do love us, and you really long uh, for our attention. And you really know what's best for us. And so as we step into this time and space, God, we pray that we could just quiet ourselves enough so that we could hear you. So that we might know your love. Uh, so that we might step into the life uh, you long for us to live. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. So we are in the middle of a sermon series um, on love kindness, if you haven't picked that up yet so far today in worship. And um, our uh, topic for today is the way of kindness looks like humility. And in order to take a look at humility, we are jumping into um, one of the big stories uh, that comes to us early in scripture in the book of Genesis. Um, and it's a story um, that takes up almost like the last third of Genesis. And we are coming in our scripture today as like at the tail end at a like heap of drama that has just unfolded over some years in the life of Jacob and his 12 sons, um, most centrally Joseph. And so um, I'm going to give you a little background so that when we dive in, it makes sense what we're diving into. Um, so Joseph is the second youngest of 12 sons uh, born to Jacob, uh, uh, who's known and named Israel um, and is kind of the father of the nation of Israel. These are the 12 tribes. This, the sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, from the get-go, for lots of reasons we don't have time to get into, Joseph is one of um, Jacob, Israel's favorite sons, and he doesn't really hide this fact, right? So um, scripture literally says, uh, this comes from the very, um, uh, this comes from the text, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. That long robe gets translated lots of different ways. It's clear. It's like special, right? So one translation will say embroidered. It's a robe with sleeves. Like it's just the musical makes it a technicolor dream robe, right? So like it's a robe that says this one's special to me, right? Um, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Um, Joseph, from the beginning, is a dreamer. He has dreams, and it's, it's clear as the story goes on, this is a spiritual gift, right? So he has dreams, and he can interpret those dreams through the power of God uh, to really hear messages from God. Um, and... Uh, in the future, this is kind of like foreshadowing, these, that, that gift, that skill will really serve Joseph well. It doesn't so much with his brothers because he keeps having these dreams 
where he is like the top dog and all of the, his brothers and family are bowing down to him and he tells them, you know, like it's not like I have that dream and I'm kind of like, what's going on? Maybe I'll go talk to dad about it, see what he thinks. Nope, he like tells all his brother. I keep dreaming that I'm like way cooler than the rest of you and you have to bow down and worship me. Didn't make him all that popular with his brothers, go figure. Um, so they hated him even more, scripture tells us, because of the dreams he had. And it's plural, so my guess is this, it happens twice in scripture, but like then they have like a plural dream. So my guess is this is not even just a two-time occasion, like probably something jo um, Joseph did over and over again. So they get this opportunity. The brothers are out in the fields. Jo Jacob sends Joseph to them, and um, they like notice like, hey, we're alone with our brother we're out in the wilderness, so stuff can happen out here, and so we could just kill him and tell dad we didn't find his body, and it'll be, he'd be gone, right? Um, and one of them convinces them, let's not kill him. That's probably, that's a little too far. Why don't we just, let, like, dump him in that cistern over there that's empty and leave him there? And in his mind, this brother was going to go get him later, but he was like, this will just keep the other brothers from killing him. So they, have, so they do that, but then um, some Midianite traders come along, and another brother has an idea like, hey, let's not kill him or leave him in the cistern to die. We could sell him into slavery, and we get some money, and then he'd be gone for good, but he wouldn't be dead. That's a great plan. And so that's the plan they go with, uh, with the one brother who was trying to save him when he wasn't around. So he comes back and finds him gone. Um, Joseph is sold into slavery into Egypt, um, and the brothers um, go back and lie to the, They take that robe. They had stripped the robe from him, so they take that special robe and kill a goat and drench it in blood and take it back to his dad so that the dad thinks uh, he's dead. So are we with me so far? we got a pack of brothers who've done a not cool thing to their brother. We have a brother enslaved in Egypt, and we have a dad who thinks his favorite son is dead. We good? Okay, so then what happens in Egypt, y'all, it's, it's too much. There's so many, there's chapters and chapters. It's really interesting, but we don't have time for it today. He's sold into slavery. Some, he gets, like, put in a position. He gets wrongly accused. He ends up in prison. Um, it's in prison. It becomes known he can interpret dreams. And then Pharaoh has these scary dreams that he doesn't understand. And somebody who knew Joseph in prison remembers his dream interpreting abilities. And so he tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, get me that guy. Right? So Joseph was in prison. He gets taken from prison um, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him the dreams, which um, basically is is foreshadowing for Pharaoh um, that there's going to be seven years of famine in Egypt, and then there's going to be, or no, I'm sorry, seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine. Joseph correctly interprets that dream for Pharaoh and um, tells him that he needs to set somebody in charge of saving grain during those seven years of plenty so that when the famine comes, the people will be okay. There'll be enough food for everybody. And Pharaoh, having just had this really cool, miraculous thing happen with his dream interpreter, says, you're my guy. You're going to be my right-hand man. I'm putting you in charge. You're going you're gonna to be, be in charge of all of this. And so he is. So um, seven years of plenty pass. Joseph stockpiles tons of grain. The famine begins. 
Um, his family, who again, dad thinks he's dead, brothers know he's not, but they're struggling. They don't have food to eat. So dad sends them to Egypt because there's food in Egypt. And Joseph inter intercepts his brothers there. And when we um, meet them, they do not recognize him. He's not where they expected him to be. Did not expect the slave to be ended up as the second in charge of the whole country, right? So they do not recognize him when they see him. Um, and when we pick up our scripture, we're finally there, y'all. Um, he has, uh, he is with his brothers who do not know it is Joseph. And he is ready to reveal who he is to them. So let's listen to God's word for us. Genesis 45. Joseph could no longer control himself in front of all his attendants, so he declared, everyone leave now. So no one stayed with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians in Pharaoh's household heard him. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father really still alive? His brothers couldn't respond because they were terrified before him. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me, and they moved closer. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Now don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. We've already had two years of famine in the land, and there are five years left without planting or harvesting. God sent me before you to make sure you'd survive and to rescue your lives in this amazing way. You didn't send me here. It was God who made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler of the whole land of Egypt. Hurry, go back to your father. Tell him this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master of all of Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You may live in the land of Goshen, so you will be near me, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everyone with you. I will support you there, so you, your household, and everyone with you won't starve, since the famine will still last five years. You and my brother Benjamin have seen with your own eyes that I'm speaking to you. Tell my father about my power in Egypt and about everything you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. He kissed all of his brothers and wept, embracing them. After that, his brothers were finally able to talk to him. Years go by. The family comes. They survive the famine. Um, but then their father, years later, dies, and Joseph's brothers are scared that now that the father is gone, Joseph will finally take retribution out on them for what they have done to him. And so at the very end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 50, Joseph says to them, Don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. Now don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. So he put them at ease and spoke reassuringly to them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I cannot imagine life with 12 siblings. And there was actually a daughter in the mix as well, so make that 13. But it is 
not all that surprising that there were some complicated family dynamics at play in the mix of all of those sons. Joseph is one of their father's favorites, and it's clear at the beginning of the story that this was a position he enjoyed. He's got that fancy coat, handmade for him, that is this constant visual reminder of his position in his father's eyes. Well, this is an honor bestowed upon him by Jacob. Once Joseph starts having his dreams, we realize it's an honor, a place he enjoys. Like I said before, there's two of those dreams reported in scripture verbatim, but the scripture makes you think that he prided that more uh, than just those two times. Joseph's dreams and his ability to interpret them are a talent, a gift that God will use as Joseph's story unfolds. Even these dreams foreshadow the future neither Joseph nor his brothers could have seen coming. But Joseph doesn't discreetly go and tell his father about these dreams that have the whole family bowing down to him. He brags about them to his brothers, wanting to raise himself up in an act of competitive comparison as he seeks to take his place above his kin. In his book that is the basis of this series, Barry Corey writes of a letter he received from a respected faculty member after he took his place as the president of Biola University in California. His colleague wrote, Biola University is not a collective prima donna. There may be individual exceptions, but on the whole, we don't take ourselves too seriously. But we take God's calling on our lives with deadly seriousness. So we won't have a huge agenda for you to fulfill but rather pray that God's giftedness in your life will help facilitate God's vision for all of us. I weary of hearing schools trying to become the greatest or the best. When that kind of comparative competition exists, someone always loses, which means the kingdom of God loses effectiveness. A sense that we just want to be faithful stewards of the gospel of the kingdom of God, and I sense the same of you. That, I trust, will help you to relax. In his early years, Joseph took himself too seriously, as did his brothers. All that comparative competition that was going on in and amongst them damaged their relationships in really destructive ways. Joseph was gifted by God. But he had to learn humility in order to use that gift for good, for the kingdom of God, rather than using it to prop up his own ego. Joseph got some pretty hefty doses of humility at the bottom of that cistern into which his brothers threw him. He also found it in his reduction in status from favored son to bot slave. Then he is humbled once more as he is wrongly accused and thrown into prison. That humility changes Joseph. By the time he is summoned from prison to go before Pharaoh, we see evidence of that change. Scripture tells us that Pharaoh summoned Joseph and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed clothes, and appeared before Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, but no one could interpret it. Then I heard that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable response. Joseph is finally recognizing his giftedness for what it is. Not something self-produced of which he can boast, but instead a gift of God, given to him not to promote himself, but to serve the kingdom of God, to serve God's purposes here on this earth. It's not me, Joseph names. It's God. God's power at work within Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and then leads the effort that will save not just the nation of Egypt, but also their neighbors, the people of Israel, Joseph's own family. The humility Joseph learns also leads to reconciliation within his family. Unlike at the start of the story, Joseph doesn't lord his position over his brothers anymore. He also doesn't use it to get revenge. Instead, from a place of supreme power, he offers them forgiveness and grace that allows them all to live in peace. That quote from Corey's letter rings true as we take in Joseph's story. When we get too focused on being the best, climbing to the highest position, being the greatest, we get so focused on ourselves and can miss what God is doing or inviting us into. As Corey's colleague wrote, when that kind of comparative competition exists, someone always loses, which means the kingdom of God loses. So I have to tell y'all, uh, when the Rockwalls showed up uh, last Sunday, I was pretty, I was pretty excited. Rockwall, that kind of stuff, not in my general comfort range, especially when I was a young person. But uh, the only place I experienced that, at least the first like handful of times, was at Hartley Camp. Because a lot of you know I grew up going to camp um, since the fifth grade. I've been a Heartland kid. And when you do a ropes course at Cartland, it's different. It's a different experience. Um, the high ropes course is all about an individual kid trying to kind of conquer their fears and do this thing on their own, so to speak. I mean, you're the one in the harness and it's you in this challenge, right? But you're not alone because you have this whole community around you. Uh, you have a staff that says, this is about you deciding what you want to do, your challenge, your choice, right? Um, and then as you're doing it, um, you have people that are watching you and cheering you on and encouraging you, um, which was definitely the case when I got to strap on a harness and put a helmet on um, to try the rock wall myself uh, this past week. Um, my recent video, you'll know I didn't edit that video <laughs> to uh, show you uh, today. Um, it exists, so I'm not totally embarrassed by it. Mostly the audio was really garbled, and I wanted you to hear. I had to listen like 10 times to hear all the things uh, that were being said. Um, but as I started to go up the wall, the first thing you hear is, Claire, Claire, go Claire. 
Then you hear, she has big legs. <laughs> Which a former version of myself might have taken offense at, but I was actually really proud to have big legs. And there was the cute, there was this other little boy that was like, she has long, she has long legs. And then you hear him kind of whisper to his friend, you don't say big, you don't say big legs. Like trying to, trying to make me feel better. Um, I got to a part in the wall uh, where I was like, I, I said out loud, I was like, this is a tricky spot, y'all. Um, and, and then you hear the kids respond, like, I had a hard time at that spot too. And then another kid was like, I made it past that spot, right? You know, like I did it. Um, but then another kid chimed in right away, it's okay, it gets harder and harder. Like we know, you know, you can just hear this, like we see where you're at, we know it's hard, like keep going. Um, at this point, my videographer daughter, um, who knows I've been doing strength training for a year, she goes, man, her back muscles look really good in this video. Go her. So she was encouraging me. Um, they were all shouting out as I tried to make my way because I hit another pretty tricky spot um, where I just got kind of stuck. And you just hear, like, get your left leg up there. Or if you go to a little right, there's a spot you can grab. Or right in between your knees, there's a place you can put your foot. You know, they're all coaching me. They can see like where my next move should be. I could not as I was clinging to the wall, but I was trying to find, um, trying to find what their instructions was telling me. Um, somebody was like, yeah, just make a daring move. And then somebody was like, jump, just jump up. <laughs> um, and so all this instructions were happening, but encouragement was happening too. Uh, there's one little girl who was like, come on, you guys, cheer for her. And then she said, what's your name start with? I think she was going to try to do like a, I don't know, some kind of C, I don't know, some kind of cheer with the first letter of my name. Then a kind soul earnestly asked as I sat kind of frozen on the wall, are you okay? <laughs> Another one shouted, you got it. At that point, I knew I didn't have it. Uh, we'll put it a little more positively. I had it up to that point, but I was at a place in the wall that would require my legs to have a little bit more of Spider-Man's flexibility in them than they do, or that my arms would have a little bit more Inspector Gadget go-go in them than they do. And so I was hanging onto the wall with all my strength, and I just couldn't see anywhere else that I could feasibly continue to climb. So I knew it was time to get down. I was about like just over halfway up the wall. On a mechanical belay system like this, like it's, a, it's you're strapped in and it, your weight is counterbalanced so that when you release from the wall, gravity will let you down um, gradually, like into a safe place. So the instructions when you're ready to get down are to put two hands on your head so that they're out of the way, and then just to jump backwards at the same time so then you can kind of repel down the wall um, as the mechanical belay just kind of slowly lowers you to the ground. Let me tell you, what is true in life is also true on the climbing wall. It's hard to stop the climb. It is hard to let go. It is hard to give up control. It is hard to trust. It is hard to surrender. But friends, when you do, it is both a humbling and a freeing experience. Because you realize it's not all up to you. You do not have to do this life on your own. 
We weren't created for that, for independence nor isolation. It's not meant to be by your own power. It's not meant to be a comparison game. It's not about any one person reaching the top. It's about where we all manage to get together. It's not about any one of us on our own. It's about each of us as we take our place in the kingdom. The kingdom where loving kindness is the rule and our Lord of love and grace reigns. Joseph learned the lesson the hard way, but once he did, everything changed. A whole nation, his family, he himself was saved. It's not about any one person reaching the top. It's about where we all manage to get together. Amen.